This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora, I'm Ian Turner and welcome to Garden of Sound, sponsored by The Nephilist. All of the socialising and none of the headaches. Speaking of socialising, The Nephilist will be at the O'Kane's Bay Music Fest on January 25th with an alcohol-free bar. So there's even more reason for you to get your tickets for that great event. I'll tell you how later in the show. In the meantime, today's guest is Christchurch vocal legend Janine Bailey. She'd probably hate me for saying that, but she's been part of the Christchurch music scene forever and we're all the richer for it. From early days singing as a hobby to star turns at some of New Zealand's most famous venues, Janine has not only been there and sung that, she's also studied the heck out of it too, completing not only a performance degree at ARA, but gaining performance honours at UC and recently completing her master's thesis studying the complexities of the jazz scene. But there's a distinct lack of original material from Janine. Will 2020 be the year when the songs most personal to this accomplished musician see the light of day? This is the Garden of Sound interview with Janine Bailey on Plains FM 96.9. Tell me about your uh, very first memory of hearing music. I can't pinpoint a, a particular early memory, so I just more have this, you know, wash of memories that were all around my mum and dad's record collections. They were very generous and let us, you know, play their albums. Watching my daughters and the way they interact with music, I realise now that I definitely had a an obsession with music from a very young age. So you were talking about being given access to the parents' record collections. Any standout groups or numbers even back then? Oh, back then, yes, because I'd listened to an album until I knew every note off by heart. And so so the real classics like Supertramp and Cat Stevens and Beatles and, you know, just singing along and listening to every little note and listening to them over and over and over and over again. Was there ever a thought in your head, oh, I'd like to do this? Oh, where were we? I can't even remember how old I was. We had a piano and I, I did want to learn an instrument and it never happened. And I remember like I'd have access to things like, like there might be sort of a guitar lying around or... Um, yeah, or a piano, and I remember we would, you know, what kids are like, drive your um, parents mad with the same horrendous thing over and over again, and you wouldn't actually know how to play it properly because you just heard someone do it, and then you'd do the same thing over and over again, but my parents were very young when they had us, it didn't occur to them to kind of go, maybe we should get them some piano lessons, and they didn't really have the musical background to be able to support us in that either. So it just kind of never really happened. And I couldn't cope with guitar because trying to tune it and it would drive me mad. So even back then my pitching was at a point where I couldn't handle things being out of tune. And I and I do have very strong memories of being in the car and singing along with the car engine. And and I'm sure that that was a part of where my pitching kind of came in 
I know that sounds really weird, like singing in tune those, and like not dissonance. Yeah, and just making sure. Yeah, so just kind of, I remember playing games with that mm. a lot. <laughs> so was it at school when perhaps your musical talent was discovered? Yes, and you know, even now I can see that my family are musical, but they more like they are music appreciators, if that makes sense, um, except for my siblings. My sister is also a singer, and my brother is a, is a musician. He's a um, bass player. He actually came through jazz school as well, but much younger than me. <laughs> and so we do have music in our family. I think like my, my grandparents and things were like very good singers and stuff, but my mum, ironically, I have never, ever heard her sing. Even even being silly, like she's never ever sung, so I find that quite odd. My dad does, but you know, mainly being silly. So, uh, was there formal musical training uh, at school? Any classes? Any teachers? Well, I don't know if you remember, and I have no idea if this still exists, but there was a thing called the special choir. Yes. So it was like the festival thing, and I got into the um, the, the the little special choir that they you know, where they audition people. And I I feel like that that was a really kind of a turning point because it certainly meant that the the uh, teachers went, oh, gosh, she can sing. Because at that point, everyone just sang in little groups together. And so it's the first time I'd auditioned for something and then managed to get into this. And I think only like two people from our school even got in. Like it was really hard to get into. That I think just shifted my idea of, of actually what my level was like. It's where you go, oh, oh, am I, I must be actually okay at this. <laughs> and and we had, you know, schools have, have their little musicals and things. And so I auditioned for things like that and got into you know, main parts. So I got used to also singing lead parts, I think, in front of a lot of people from a fairly young age too. Was there a point as a young person where uh, you went, okay, music is the way as opposed to normal, regular, nine-to-five jobs? No, I would say absolutely not. In fact, when I was at high school, when I got to Burnside, it was such a huge school that I actually stopped doing music and I remember very clearly a point where I was in a choir for some reason I hadn't done the auditions for the for the sort of smaller choirs and so for me having come through the process of doing the special choirs and doing a lot of singing at school and I was at Casebrook Intermediate and Sowen House so music was actually really strong at both of those schools I remember just going oh this is so slow and it was so painful because you know there was like the big general choir and so it wasn't an auditioned choir. So I could hear people around me not singing in tune and it was they would take so long to move on. And I still remember that point where my friends were outside waiting for me and I went, do I have to do this? No, I can't be bothered. So that would have been in Form 3 or, you know, Year 9. Um, and I remember going outside and just going, nah can't be bothered, I prefer to go and play with my friends. Well, fortunately, uh, tremendous musical talent uh, has not <laughs> been lost to the, the Garden City. What was young 
I say young, let's say uh, mid mid to late teens, um, Janine, listening to music-wise. So back then, like, music wasn't as ex- anywhere near as accessible. I mean, obviously, like I said, I had my parents' albums, but they weren't things that I had chosen, you know. I loved listening to them, but they, wasn't, they weren't the albums that I had chosen to listen to. I still remember Dad taking me to buy... Um, like my first albums and and um, I remember uh, I think the first album I bought um, I bought with dad so we kind of shared what we'd bought so there was a Bronsky beat album and I remember his um, like singing along with him like in those albums and um, a Talking Heads album which I stopped making sense I think was and also oh gosh there was another album that we bought together. I can't remember. And so so that was like the first time I was like, I've actually chosen. I've actually had, you know, been able to choose what I'm listening to and what I'm buying. And that was super exciting. And and then, of course, going to concerts when I was sort of in my late teens or well, mid to late teens, I guess, and seeing bands like Midnight Oil and shriek back, and I remember Pseudo Echo, <laughs> that was very exciting back then. Um, it's time to play some music, and normally I ask about uh, influences, um, and we have talked before the show, and there's been a track that was originally written by Chris Knox, Yeah, but there's somebody else who's doing a version uh, of this song. I don't even know how I came across this version, actually, and I know it was around about the time of the earthquakes because I remember watching um, some footage about the earthquakes while I was happened to be listening to the song so it's really clearly embedded in my <laughs> brain I just absolutely love the 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 energy of the of how he um, has um, produced this version of it so it's from the Chris Knox um, album stroke um, where a whole lot of people did um, versions of Chris Knox songs. I think it is probably my favourite song, like lyrically and production-wise, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. Who is the artist? Bill Callahan. Bill Callahan, mm. his version of Laps. I remember 
those days Stretched out in our lives Invertebrate spools in a spine And I cry Why do you cry Cause I, I remember And I, I smile Why do smile cause I, I remember all of those moods entangled entwined what was one skin Thank you. 
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Janine Bailey on Plains FM 96.9. It's time to talk about gigs and concerts and things, and you'd alluded to some of the stuff that you'd been to as a as a younger person. What was the first big gig you got along to? Oh, I would say it would have been, it was actually probably the Pseudo Echo gig. <laughs> okay, where was that held? It was at the town hall, so I remember, I remember him, you know, playing playing with his um you know like keyboard guitar Guitar. yeah (laughs) because you know i'm an 80s girl really and nothing wrong with guitar (laughs) i just whatever you say it's nothing wrong and and i remember going to a shriekback one and I'd, i'd come across them from watching radio with pictures with my parents on Sunday nights. And where was Karen that? Karen Hay. Where was that? That was also at the Town Hall, actually. Okay, so a lot of memories at the, the Town Hall. Either yeah, of those absolutely. gigs, uh, standout moment apart from the, the guitar, the environment, <laughs> the people. Is this the first time you've been in a big crowd listening to music? Yes, it was. And I remember it being huge amounts of fun. It was great. But I, I certainly wasn't at that point even thinking about me doing it, me being on the stage. It wasn't really about that. It was just, you know, loving listening to good music and watching people do their stuff. So what was the moment that got you into doing the music? Because it sounds like you've done everything you could to distance yourself from your eventual future or fate. (laughs) Music wasn't seen as being a career path. And because I wasn't writing songs I guess it wasn't really seen as a a thing to do and also back back then at at high school contemporary music wasn't taught it wasn't a thing it wasn't really there like even at Burnside um music theater was possibly the only thing that was sort of contemporary ish and that didn't suit my voice at all so that wasn't really an angle I could take so it never occurred to me, and it never occurred to anyone around me, that just because I had a nice voice and I could sing, that that was something I should carry on with. So when did you take the stage first, and what led to that moment? Jazz school had started up in the early 90s. I think it was 91 by memory. That was the first, it was the first kind of training institution for contemporary music, certainly in Christchurch, probably one of the first in New Zealand. And that was a long, involved process for Neil Picard. And I'm forever grateful that did happen. I was um, working at the Ducks Deluxe, managing the restaurant there. I'd finished my degree in psychology. So I was just kind of not really sure what, you know, back in your early 20s, you're not really looking that far ahead. And I had a, a good friend of mine, Um, wanted to audition for a part-time jazz course, which was being run through Hagley, Hagley Community College. And Vitsa Hoekstra was uh, running that. And she wanted me to come along as as a support. So I went along with her because she was really nervous about auditioning. And she auditioned for him. 
And then he turned to me and said, so can you sing? And I was like, well, yeah, a little bit. And he said, well, do you want to audition as well? And I was like, okay. okay." (laughs) Did he know that you were musical? No. So I mean, from a bar of soap, I was just his, you know, this, I was my friend's support person. Anyway, so he turned to me and and then he made me sing a couple of scales, which he thought was hilarious because I couldn't sing the major scale for the life of me because I kept singing a blues scale instead, which he thought was so weird. (laughs) Okay, that is weird. I know, right? And then... um, and then ironically, the friend who'd auditioned, even though she got into it, ended up moving to Auckland to live. And I went on the course. Okay. So I did this part-time course while I was still working at the Ducks. And I did that for a couple of years, part-time. And then I thought, oh, maybe I should go further with this. Oh, no, 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 no. And I, I really didn't feel comfortable about doing that as a full-time you know, leaving my job where I was finally earning some money. And then a, a good friend of mine said, oh, for God's sake, you don't want to be working in hospitality for the rest of your life. Why don't you just do it? And I just having that little push made me go, actually, yeah, that's a good point. And I still remember when my my dad was very encouraging. And I remember when he he said he told my nana that I was going to go to jazz school. And... She said, you know, oh, what does she want to do? What does she want to give up a good job for, you know? Which was, I think, part of the reason why I'd been putting it off. Even though my dad was encouraging, there was still this general feeling of like, why would you give up a good job to go and do music? That's ridiculous. And he, he, I remember him laughing when he told me what Nana had said. And he said, I think that she just thinks you're going to be like leaning on a piano and singing all day. <laughs> You know, there is a part of that. <laughs> um, and so a part of what made me feel confident enough, I guess, to audition was that one night I'd been um, drinking with my friends. Actually, Ross Herrick was one of them. Um, and they'd been nagging at me and nagging at me to sing. And I was such a closet singer. They, I don't even know how they knew I could sing. I think maybe because I'd mentioned that I was auditioning for jazz school and they're like hello (laughs) come on we've never heard you sing and so we we were out and we were in an alleyway somewhere and I made them sit down I was like fine pointed to the ground went sit there fine (laughs) and they were were all the like the managers of the dark souls out with them and then I sang them uh today I sing the blues um Aretha Franklin's version of it and while they all sat there like little kids in front of me <laughs> in this alleyway somewhere in Christchurch in the middle of the night. And then kind of from their response, I went, oh, yeah, maybe I can do this. Maybe this is something I should follow. Maybe I do have something. And it's just funny how these little little moments can lead you to kind of following that direction. Because I do remember, too, once when I was doing the Hagley course and I said to Vitsa, um, I think I want to follow this. I think I want to go to jazz school and just to see what he said. <laughs> and he said, I really think you should keep it as a hobby. <laughs> Which I love telling him to this day. And whenever we're on the stage together, I always make sure I tell the audience that. So that's a joke that's just gone on for a really long time. Has he expanded on that comment? <laughs> no. No, well, at the end of it, at the end of that year, um, 
he must have remembered saying that to me because it was like months later. Because actually, weirdly, that actually I was like, I'll show you. I actually made me determined to keep going rather than squashing me. But without any prompting, months later, so it must have bugged him that he'd said that to me. He actually just said to me out of the blue, you know how you said you wanted to follow this? I think you should. I think you should go for it. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I should bloody go for it. And she <laughs> glad you Glad you've caught up. It's time for some music. Um, and at this point I do ask about a favourite track. Now, you have just mentioned Aretha Franklin. Is yeah. there a song from that wonderful woman that we yeah, can listen well, to? I would actually love to play the... Today I sang the blues, which okay. was the one I sang to my friends who I made sit down in the alleyway and I sang to. Without a word of warning, the blues walked in this morning. And circled around my lonely room I didn't know why I had that sad and lonely feeling Until my baby called and said we're through Yesterday, this time I sang a love song But today, I'm singing the blues mm -hmm. It strikes me kind of funny How love can be this way we were lovers last night, honey But I'm alone again today And it strikes me kind of funny How fate can be unfair be written for me that I should be the one be the one to always lose for yesterday yesterday this time I sing a love song The Garden of Sound interview with Janine Bailey on Plains FM 96.9.
Thanks for being here today. I want to talk about a sweet little event that's coming up at the end of January. It's the O'Kane's Bay Music Fest. It's happening on Saturday, January 25th, and it's a full day full of good times and great music with acts like Soaked Oats, Dusty Hustle, Emily Fairlight, and Reb Fountain. Tickets are a steal at 70 bucks, only $35 if you're aged 13 to 17, 12 and unders go free. You can get yours right now by visiting dash tickets.co.nz and searching OKANES or heading to gardenofsound.nz and clicking the banner on the front page. Proceeds will be supporting the amazing OKANES Bay Mouldy and Colonial Museum and will encourage more music and awesome collaborations across this beautiful part of the world. So get your tickets now for this great little event, dash tickets.co.nz and search OKANES or just head to gardenofsound.nz and click the OKANES Bay Music Fest banner. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Janine Bailey on Plains FM 96.9. Uh, Janine, I imagine you've done a, a few gigs across the years. I imagine you've sung a few songs and been in a few different locations in a few different countries. Any moment that you wish the ground had sort of swallowed you up or you thought, oh, I'm tanking, what can I do to get out of the situation? I remember one of them being, <laughs> this is still very funny to me. Uh, I was singing for, it must have been just before the earthquakes, I was singing at the Gaiety Hall over in Akaroa. It had been when, it, and very sadly, it had been when the hall had just been opened because it had been reconditioned. And of course, then the earthquakes killed it. Um, and so it was this wonderful opening concert. And um, there was this incredible, oh, what's his name? Paul Urbana-Jones. He was on one of the nights as well. So we had this, it was like a little mini festival. And it was, it seated, I think it normally, it was meant to seat 200 people and it had sold out. So this was my night. And I think they opened it up to 250 people. So they managed to squeeze everyone in there. And the, the hall was gorgeous. And we got on early and we did a sound check. <laughs> and um, so I was quite nervous. And it was a you know big, big event. And it was really like the sound in the Great Hall. Oh, and sorry, in the Gaiety Hall was so gorgeous. Like you could hear a pin drop. So this sort of set this really intense mood. And I started, you know, so I've got a sea of faces looking at me. And I started singing the very first song. So I got on stage, started to sing with my band. And then I was about halfway through the first day section. I was like, what the hell am I singing? What is going wrong? Holy crap, I'm not meant to be singing this song. And I had to, so I was in the middle of singing the song going, this isn't the right, these aren't the right chords what the heck is going on and I had to I had to look down at my set list on the floor to even work out what song I was meant to be singing and I was singing the first song in the second bracket by accident and I could hear I was like what am I been doing these chords are so wrong but it was in the same key and it was the same feel and I was like oh my god I'm gonna get up to the bridge and I, how am I going to sing this through the bridge? So I had no idea. I was like, this is the first song and all these people have paid this money to see me sing and I can't stop here. So, so I've somehow managed to magically get through the bridge singing over these totally terribly wrong chords. <laughs> Kept going. Got to the end of that first head and then because I knew what the right song was, I 
just started singing the correct song. And my poor band were all freaking out. But they they were like little robots and just kept going because they didn't know what what to do. (laughs) And ironically, also no one knew other than clearly my band who are all like sweating and (laughs) looking terribly nervous. And I think my bass player must have been Richie Pickard because Neil Pickard was there. And afterwards he was like, how did you do that to start with, you woolly? And how did you get through it? <laughs> and But the most amazing thing about it was that because I'd made such a screw up and no one other than my band and Neil Pickard and Anthony Pickard who was there, no one else other than them knew, I was suddenly filled with this huge sense of confidence <laughs> And I had the most amazing concert, I had the most amazing gig. But I just remember at the time going, next time I need to make sure I know what song I'm singing before I start. Aside from the totality of your musical uh, experience and all the years singing and performing, what do you think enabled you to get through that? Part of it was probably, I remember watching a singer, I won't name her, she was an um, opera singer, very, very, very well known, and she was singing for a benefit concert, and she started singing, singing something, and I didn't know it terribly well, but then she stopped, and she said, oh, I've got that completely wrong, okay, let's start from the, st- from the top, and I just remember thinking to myself, Actually, a good proportion of the audience didn't know that you'd screwed up. And if you had poker faced it and carried on, we would have all thought you were amazing. And I just remember that being a big one for me where I just, it made me go, I'm not going to do that. And a huge part of my jazz training is that you are flying by the seat of your pants a lot of the time. So we're improvising all the time. Is that the difference between jazz and classical, perhaps? Potentially. But I still think, too, that some of it's that whole concept of the show must go on. Like, you know, like if you're in a show, sometimes something will go wrong. You can't just stop and go, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, Sorry, I did that bit wrong. And that's where I'm going to ask about checking the ego at the door. Sometimes the ego, it feels, is Mm. what separates the, you know, the mortals from the gods. I think when it comes down to it, people want to see you in the zone. Sometimes if you're thinking too much about the technical side of things or you're you're having an issue with remembering something um, as a part of your performance, then you're not really in the zone. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's what I'm always aiming for, even now, yeah. like this week when I've been performing all week. Mm-hmm. What I'm wanting is to find that zone. So it's it's like you've you've got a connection to the music, you've got a connection to the audience, and you've got a connection to yourself as well. So there's there's a whole lot of different things that combine to make that performance magic, and and that's kind that's where the magic sits is kind of in between those lines. Like you recognise it as a performer, and I think that's what we're always chasing as a performer too. I want to get on to some of the music that you've um, uh, recorded, and you have done an album of jazz standards. Mm. Um, with arrangement, I understand, by Tom Rainey. Yes. Who we've had on the show, who's a, just a, a wonderful uh, man. Incredibly talented. One of the tracks we did talk earlier, um, we're going to play as Night and Day. It's Cole Porter? Yes, that's right. Why did you want to do Night and Day, at least? Um, when Tom and I got together and talked about what songs we might do, I, I, I 
can't remember if this was at his suggestion or not, but I wanted to do a really lush, just a lush um, jazz, jazzy, I should say, album. So, but with strings as well as, you know, really superb kind of rhythm section as well. And so I knew that Tom would be the man to, to arrange the strings. And we'd, both of us had actually been to um, a Diana Krall concert, also at the Town Hall. And I think it was her Quiet Nights of Quiet Stars album, Korkovada. And, and just the arrangements were so delicious and stunning. And I think both Tom and I, just after that, concert looked at each other and went that that's what we want we want that sound and so it was in order to kind of get that um amazing lush almost underneath it there's this sort of slight kind of dissonance with what the strings are doing it's just absolutely gorgeous and I think he really got that on this on this particular track. Like the beat, beat, beat of the tum-tum When the jungle shadows fall Like the tick, tick, tock of the stately clock As it stands against the wall Like the drip, drip, drip of the raindrops When the summer shower is through A summer voice within me keeps repeating It's no matter, darling, where you are, I think of you. In the silence of my lonely room, I think of you. Until you let me spend my life making that to you day and night Night and
meant won't be true until you let me spend my life making love to you day and night no it's torment won't be through until you let me spend my life making love to you day and Spend my life making love to you day and night, night and This is the Garden of Sound interview with Janine Bailey on Plains of Fem 96.9. We just heard uh, a recording, uh, an arrangement uh, by Tom Rainey of um, Night and Day. I still think of U2's version, or at least (laughs) Bono. Um, In putting those tracks together off that jazz standards album you did, I want you to tell me about what you may have discovered about music um, in the production aspect of that. That was a whole other experience. Um, um, it was actually also just working out how to do it. And I think the first album I did with Tom, that was fairly new to, um, a fairly new experience for both of us. Like how do we go from thinking about maybe doing an album to actually having the you know, either product in your hand or product on the on the airwaves, and and there there weren't a lot of people sort of doing it at that kind of level on their own. I think at, at that point, anyway. Like Where was it recorded? We recorded at what was called White Bait Studios uh, with Glenn Rusk, and we also recorded at Jazz School using the the um, auditorium, the room that they have up there. 
and then I had it mastered through um, Turtle Rock um, Studios, um, which is over in Sydney, and he was amazing. And so that was a whole, just a whole, whole process. It was it was a long and involved process, and it was it was very difficult because we didn't really have anyone we could ask about. So it was all a lot of sort of finding out ourselves how to go about doing that how were you objectively able to listen to your performance and perhaps give yourself tips as a singer i i'm i'm fairly instinctive like i I think it's you know you realize that you've listened to a lot of music over the years and you and you do kind of hear what what sounds right and what doesn't sound right and all that you know and every now and then i'd be like that doesn't sound right to me but i Oh, but I'm, um, you know, the audio engineer or Tom will pick up on if 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 there is anything wrong. I must be imagining it, but and then and then I realised as time went on, like, oh no, I actually should trust that because without fail, there was something, there was an issue, there was something going on there, and we'd come back to it, and then someone would finally go, oh, that's a bit funny there. What's going on there? And I'd be like, oh, okay, that. So I learned to speak up when I noticed stuff. When we were doing the album, I was, I, I, you know, Tom and I co-produced it together. And initially I spent a lot of my time just sitting back and listening, listening to what they were saying, listening to what I, to the music I was listening to, um, doing a f- bit of reading around production as well, um, listening to other albums and comparing it and seeing what was missing or, you know, I was almost like learning or teaching myself as I went. And so by the end, I, I, kind of felt like I felt quietly confident that I knew what was going on. So what's on the cards in the next few months, couple of years? So um, I'm in the uh, Nelson Jazz Festival at the start of the year, which would be great fun. Um, I'm performing there just with my own group and I'm also singing with Eat My Shorts, which is a uh, really fun funk group. And I, what I a long, to, illustrious history. Well, yeah, I remember auditioning for them back on my first year of jazz school. I remember being so nervous; I was contemplating crashing the car rather than actually. <laughs> That's reasonable. <laughs> I was like, I could just like, oh my god, am I really seriously thinking about that? I was so nervous, and um, but it was. I'm so glad I did do it, and that was really fun. Um, sang with them for um, a few years, and then of course we haven't done anything for ages, and then Greg Bainbridge. Um, contacted me earlier this year and said, so I'm thinking about getting Eat My Shorts together. And I'm like, heck yeah, that'd and be great. And it's gone down tremendously well. Yeah, thing. we were in the Arts Festival, Christchurch Arts Festival this year, and like I said, Nelson Jazz Festival. So, we'll And you played some gigs at the Ducks. Yeah, oh, which is hilarious. Being, well, it's obviously not the same venue, but it's still the Ducks. So being back there again. How to you as a performer and also a former manager uh, it's completely different, but does any of the vibe still remain? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it felt very like that. It's still the duck still has the feeling it had twenty years ago. <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. Okay, it's time for one last piece of music uh, to listen to, and I always say one for luck. <laughs> Is there anything that you want to pull out of the uh, the faves? Bag. Wow, I'm obsessed with this Jared James album 31, so I actually really struggled to pick which song I wanted to play from Who's this. Who's Jared when he's not at home? He's an Aussie dude, and 
what I really love about his stuff, I feel like he's got this really lovely organic way of producing music. And I know he, one of his songs from the album, I remember um, reading about how he produced it. And like I think they they recorded the song, and so a lot of it is, is electronic. And I don't think they had any instruments in the house. I was like, what kind of producer's house doesn't have any instruments? But anyway, I think they had like a ukulele or something. But a lot of, if you listen to it, a lot of the... Um, drum sound and stuff that they've done they've sampled from hitting the wall and things like that which I love I think that's so cool I love that idea of um, making music out of just things around you and so that I was yes and if you listen to it really closely you can hear that there's that sort of stuff going on it's very cool Jeline thanks so much for being on the show very welcome
Thanks for being here today. My guest was Christchurch singer and academic Janine Bailey. Head along to gardensound.nz and click Janine's picture on the front page to find out more about what she's up to and hear a bespoke Spotify playlist of all the songs and artists we talked about today. Just a quick reminder about the O'Kane's Bay Music Fest. Tickets for this awesome event on January 25th can be had by heading to tickets.co.nz or by clicking the banner at gardenersound.nz. And please do check out Garden of Sound's sponsor, The Nephilist. It's one of New Zealand's only online alcohol-free bottle stores. You can get your fill at thenephilist.com. That's N-E-P-H-A-L-I-S-T.com. Well, that's Garden of Sound for another week. I'd love to have you back next Friday. In the meantime, keep well, keep listening, and keep playing. Haere rā.